Hello, good afternoon. Welcome uh, to the show. Thank you for Rachel for pointing out uh, that we, we couldn't be heard at the very beginning of that. I hope you are well. I hope you've had a great weekend and uh, I hope you're ready for a, a, another good week with us. We are delighted to be here. Um, we want your comments in. Please get them in uh, throughout the show. Uh, let us know what you'd uh, like us to talk about. Mondays, are, I, I, it's my favourite Monday because it's a bit of a it's a bit of a free for all as we discuss the points that have happened across the weekend. And of course, if you're listening on the podcast, a very warm welcome to you. Uh, get in touch, podcast at aspen-weight.co.uk uh, with your thoughts. Right. That's out of the way. I've done that a couple of times because of our, our technical difficulties at the start. But I'm delighted that Mr. Paul Waite, the CEO of Aspen Waite, is here with me. Paul, you're on the screen in live and in glorified colour. Good afternoon. Good afternoon again, you mean? Good afternoon again, yeah. Apparently we, we could not be heard the, the, the first time. We had a private, a private welcome earlier. Yeah. And, that, me. and those words, oh, what did people miss out on? I'm going to, we're going to start today... Um, by talking about some of the things that have happened over the last few days, just just our thoughts and feelings. Um, and as always, I'm just going to put some thoughts out there and, and, and let you pick them up. So frustrating, seemingly, still, that we don't want to criticise the government. That's not what we want to come on here and do. We, we, do, we don't want <laughs> to criticise, but they, they oh, sometimes okay. give us um, no choice. But it seems okay. frustrating, Paul, that that once again, we don't know what's going on and other countries seem so much better at communicating about how they're going to ease lockdown. And quite frankly, I don't know if it'll make difference if, if that Boris is back, but we don't seem to be able to communicate any idea of how we're going to come out of this. Well, I just I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think... Um... It's, it's, you know, it's potentially even more depressing than that, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it at the moment, probably one of two things are true. Either uh, my worst fear would be that um, that this government seriously believes that um, causing economic ruin is worth it um, to stop um, a few thousand people dying. And I don't say that lightly you know because obviously um everyone that dies is somebody's husband wife family member friend etc but you know one also has to look at the wider picture so one 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 worry is they're not saying anything because of that uh and the second so the, the other thing that may be true is one of two things is um they do know what they're going to do but they just won't tell us which is why i think we're starting to see uh, a lot of comments in the media now about stop treating us like children. Yes, yeah, and I think we um, we had a, a, a small discussion as we always do before we do these broadcasts and these podcasts, and we, we were saying that this weekend for me and, and and yourself visibly on Saturday visibly different to any other point at this lockdown where I felt that there were more there were more than probably the, mo- the, the most amount of cars that I've seen on the road for four or five weeks. But just people going to houses, people going to parks, people driving around, walking around. It was it was almost as if people had 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 enough and just could could couldn't do couldn't do this much longer. And I wonder, just for the second point I'm gonna put on that before you comment, Paul, is whether better communication um would would would, would help that at this point. Because I think the not the, the not knowing is, is what a lot of people will say, Well, I'm I'm had enough of this now. Well, you know, as a as a um 
leader of a large business myself, um, I, I cannot see. So if I, I haven't thought about this before you asked me, but if I just put forward the, the following proposal to you, you know, you tell me as a sensible uh, person whether you think there's anything that you could possibly object to what I'm going to say. OK, OK. So what if the government said, right, uh, we can't promise you exactly when it's going to be right, uh, because clearly we want to make sure that, um, you know, our principal objective, you know, and the five tests they keep banging on about uh, are all in place. OK, but subject to that, um, at some given date, uh, this is going to be the schedule. So on the first available opportunity, garden centres will open, uh, this will open, blah, blah. A week later, all the shops will be allowed to open, subject to this. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Uh, on the third week, uh, there will be uh, a full schedule of public transport, but uh, there'll be a restriction of 50% in passengers or whatever. Yeah. Right? That sort of type thing. Then... How could anyone, seems to me, how could anyone possibly say that you couldn't do that? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that that kind of uh, clarification, and I know there will be people listening and watching this that will think, oh, come on, why are you talking about this? You know, this is unprecedented, 100 years. We, we, we need to stick with it. They've told us to stick with it. Let's just do what we have to. It's not like we've got to go and, you know, fight a war. We're, we're being asked to stay at home. But I think we, we need to have a balanced argument and we need we need to have a balanced discussion, should I say. And there, 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 that lack of that lack of clarity, as we've just mentioned, is is astonishing when we look and you've mentioned Sweden a lot, but we've, we look at the likes of Germany as well. And there are other countries now that are starting to communicate well. When you look around the world, Paul, other people are able to communicate better than we are. So what's the issue? Sorry, I don't, I, was gonna say, I don't mean this to be rude. I don't, I don't think that point you made even gets off the ground because I concede that there will be people who might think that, mm. in which case the answer would be that's what we think. Yeah. If the government said uh, we're not going to ease lockdown and have a return to business because we genuinely believe it is better not to do that, then that would be that would be communicating. Yeah. Yeah. They're not doing that, are they? So, no. so that's why I don't agree with that. So, um, you know, I think you know what what seems to be the picture, what seems to be the message from the government. Um, I watched a really good, um, I watched a really good thing on LBC, LBC Talk Radio, um, where they were almost destructively commenting on the minister's uh, Friday, you know, the speech. And he didn't answer one question. So basically, he gave his own answer to every question, which was not actually the question he was asked. Um, so at no stage did he answer the question properly. Mm. Um, and, and pretty much all he kept saying was, love the NHS, praise the NHS, uh, stay at home, protect the NHS. And he kept saying that over and over and over again. You know, no matter what he was asked, that's what he said. You know? And, um, you know, it's, it's, I think the only thing that gives me hope at the moment is I was starting to worry a bit that I just couldn't see, um, you know, it was, we, we, we get told about all these surveys where, you know, 78.6% of people agree with the government and, you know, nobody thinks we should go back to work and all that. 
you know, which 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 you know would make one feel quite depressed actually. But I I I, I personally feel uh, I feel very confident now uh, that that isn't where we are, and I think what happens with any society, particularly a democratic one, is eventually the people will speak. Mm-hmm. And what I read a very good, I didn't agree with it. I, I normally do. I normally agree with Dan Hodge in the Sunday Mail very much. I think he's a very, very good writer. Um, and this week, which to my surprise, he actually wrote his piece totally supporting the government's attitude. So he his view was that the government had behaved uh, responsibly. The government had followed good scientific advice. Um, and he thinks that... Um, Appear, you know, history will judge that they timed it right. And his 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 main point, as far as I could see, of logic was that um, we went into lockdown relatively late, you know, and appeared to be following a, a a relatively relaxed regime, more like Sweden. Yeah. And then and then we went into um, went into the lockdown. And what Dan Hodge was saying is is his 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 contention was that you can only get uh the majority of people to behave in if you like an uncivil liberty like way for a short period of time yeah and therefore what the government had to do was to choose you know four or five weeks or whatever it is uh that took us through the most difficult part of the journey mm. that makes sense and his view is, therefore, that because quite clearly, you know, I, I, th- I don't think it matters what part of the country you come from. I mean, I'm telling you, as someone who cycled 500 miles in the last th- four weeks, uh, that there are massively more people walking around Burnham Beach than were a week ago. Uh, the number of cars is clearly visibly more. Um, you know, I, and I think people have just said, I've had enough now. Um I, I myself have made a decision over the weekend that sometime very soon I will make myself available for appointments again face to face. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's um, now, you know, I, th- I think if that there obviously has to be a risk that the government isn't about to relax uh, the lockdown. I'd have to say, you know, one of the things that we always pride ourselves on in this show is is to say what we actually think is going to happen. I don't believe that for a second. Yeah. I I actually think that uh, of the two of the two possibilities that I referred to at the start of the show, I think we're in bad communications that they'll not. Uh, the government seriously thinks that we're all going to carry on like this for another three months. Yeah, I think, interestingly, one of the points I wanted to just add to this, I was reading an article this morning, I've just found it, which is, um, it was on the Sky News, actually, um, not the BBC, but not that we have a particular preference anymore. We've discussed our views on the media uh, over over the past few weeks. But it says that Britons are really fallen into uh, one of three categories um, on their response to this. And, and those um, three categories are... Um, the people that are uh, that have chosen to cope well and adjust their lives, the people that are really suffering, and the people that are going uh, against it, 
Um, and interestingly, their their sort of stats on it, it said that um, uh, around 58% of the uh, resisting group think that too much fuss is being made about the uh, the coronavirus. But they do say that, that, that this is a study by King's College in London, I should put out as well, not um, just uh, a study by uh, Sky News. And it says that um, yeah, forty. Uh, so forty-eight percent of the UK have accepted the new way of life. I'm not. I'm not sure about that. Forty-four uh, percent are suffering because of the government's actions, and nine percent are resisting the changes. I know you like a stat, so there we go. There's three for you. It doesn't add up to a hundred. There we are. Okay. Well, I, I just that's just reading <laughs> off the. Um, that's just re- literally just reading off of their. Um, Sorry, can only be who we are. That didn't add up to a hundred. I just thought that was amusing. So there we are. Analysis of the uh, King's College London. Um, so there <laughs> we go. Um, but yeah, I think the point that we will make on this is just that, that it's interesting to see that articles again are, get, are getting published. There was another one at the weekend in one of the uh, the papers about this situation of. Who's suffer? Who's suffering? And we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about this, um, yeah. you know, a lot on the shows about who is actually suffering at the moment. And you've you've been at pains to mention the people that you know that have needed cancer treatment and things that ha- that haven't had them. And it really goes back to the point that we made last Monday. And I think the more the days go on, the more relevant this becomes. Is what is it? The people that are suffering because of mental health and obviously having things that they need to medication, medical problems that they've already got versus the people dying from coronavirus. And my, my view is that ever so slowly now that wheel is turning and, and the mental health issues and, and the people suffering without treatment is much, much more than those dying of coronavirus. I, I, I would disagree with the word slowly. Um, so I don't think it is slowly. Um, there was a brilliant article in the Sunday Times yesterday by Matthew Said, who I... Guy who was a fantastic tennis table tennis player who's become a brilliant uh, journalist, and he wrote the most superb article. Uh, and it, it, I thought it was a, a very learned and intelligent observation. What he basically said was, "No one has ever died, and the doctors put brackets deceased uh, economic factors." Yeah, right. No one has ever died, and they put recession next to their name they just they just recorded as having died what he's saying is what he was saying is as well as all the things you've just said you know you've got the people who are being allowed to die by not having their chemotherapy or not having their life-saving operation or whatever it is his point was already you know and this is this is his contention already not in the weeks to come Already, there are enough people who have suffered irreparable damage as a result of what's happened. And he's saying that not just now, in 10, 20 years, there will be thousands of people who will die well before their time. Yeah. And his conclusion was no one will record that for posterity and put brackets locked down. And I just thought that was a really, really good and powerful point. Yeah, that is a that is uh, um, that is a really, really powerful point, actually. And that's uh, and there's there's not a lot you can say to that when you hear those sort of words uttered. I mean, again, we we don't want to dwell on the obvious, but you look round at, at the news over the last couple of days, and there are warnings left, right, and centre of the businesses that will never, never return to the high streets uh, because of this. And and I. 
you know, I don't do the maths like you do it. And I don't look at the numbers and the details exactly the same way as you do, because we have very different roles. But I, I imagine that every day that goes past, I would love to know the, the every day that goes past without trading, the businesses that that's it for them, just one more day and one more day. And, and because it, cause it must it must be like that. Well, I should ask you the question, really. Well, I think there's, I think the answer to that question is, is um, probably slightly more complex than uh, an average layperson would 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 expect. So, if you if you made an assumption that in the early stages of lockdown uh, that there was a certain loss to the economy per day, and I think uh, the amount that was generally accepted was 2.4 billion pounds mm. okay so every day that went past we were losing 2.4 billion pounds but i think actually it's it's actually much more sinister and concerning than that because i think if you if you made an assumption now that everyone would survive then that would simply be a linear statistic so i.e for instance you know if it if it continued for 40 days we'd lose 96 million pounds if it continued for 60 days, we'd lose 144 billion pounds and, and so on and so forth, right? Now, uh, I would suggest to you that actually what would happen is you get a stepped effect. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like plateaus. So so probably practically no one would. So if you just made, state, try and make this state the obvious. So if you said that we had lockdown for two weeks, right? probably practically nobody's going to fail because of two weeks so over that 14 days uh, the loss would be say 30 billion if you then carried on and said right a month right there there probably are so we're told so um, there are already businesses that have failed uh, because of a lockdown of one month fact not not to the point where one could start to get angry and already say, well, you government, you you have completely effed this all up, right? However, if we then carried on for another month, so let's say when we get to the next review date, which I think is May the 7th, that they then turn around and said, we're now going to extend this for another three weeks with no easing down. I would I would put forward, I would say that would probably be right up there and one of the worst decisions in history by any government i would feel that strongly about it and i would predict that if that was to happen that you would see a massive acceleration and and extension of of the process that had been carrying on and the two point the 2.4 billion would no longer be 2.4 billion you would start to see uh, after a certain number of days i don't know let's say five percent of all businesses fail right then you get to another couple of 20 days go by another five percent of businesses fail okay and i read a very interesting article yesterday um which um i think obviously we you know we we don't know this and probably never will but what the what the contention was and this is based on you know allegedly true reports is that the government themselves totally failed to understand how the business community would react to their measures so when they turned around and they said for instance um you know all this stuff that came out that you know you should only go to work if it was essential Mm. 
they 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 it, they it didn't cross their minds apparently. So you know, we were we you were we were talking earlier about B and Q and you know and all these sort of places, um, construction sites also. This is true. Um, the government thought that they would all carry on working. Yeah, that's what they thought, right? So apparently, it was a huge shock to the government that people actually like petrol, like the, my local petrol station. Uh, I know the owner very, very well. I saw him uh, the last Sunday he was open before he closed down. And he said to me, Paul, I've got the best workforce I've ever had. I I could not live with myself if one of those people died. That's what he said. Yeah. Now, I don't agree with his decision. And I think, you know, if we had longer, I could go on to uh, much wider points as to some of the wider factors he hadn't considered in his own decision which i would consider to be a very narrow decision but he took the point and you have to say you know to be fair to him he's basically put his workforce lives over and above his profit or in this case loss yeah um, and i think that what the government didn't realize when the government turned around and go went hey shit everyone you know this is this is armageddon coming um you know people like imperial college did their you know one in hundred people are going to die or whatever it was you know when it's more like one in ten thousand that that there was perhaps an overreaction to that or you could you could say um it wasn't an overreaction people just took the government literally at what they thought they were being asked to do so um i'm told that they they miscalculated the furlough figure by as much as 10 times wow they had no. Now this is this is where where, where we really get into powerful territory. Um, so they 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 issued the furlough scheme as a very responsible scheme, expecting um, those people, you know, for instance, in in real hardship, to take use of that scheme. Now, of course, what they didn't ever realize, we're now at a situation where something like nine million people have been furloughed. Now, when you consider we live in a country of 60 million, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's an incredibly high percentage. And, and of course, it's costing each one of us um, something like, uh, so what is it? Uh, you know, probably £100 a day for each one of those people, say. You know, yeah. just do a rough sum. You know, so every day that we're, we're in lockdown, we've got 9 million people at £100. That's what it's, that's what it's costing us. You know, that's a frighteningly large frighteningly large number and of course the, the point that was being made in the times which i thought was incredibly incredibly wise is that um the furlough scheme was well-meaning but actually will probably prove to have been a measure which increased unemployment not saved it that's really interesting. I want you to explain a little bit more for people listening because that's a that's a that's a hell of a statement. Well, so um, instead of so instead of people saying like I do, as I stated in our group meeting this morning, it's very important to me to keep all our workforce together. People have turned around and said, "How many people can we get rid of?" And you know, if we get rid of forty people on furlough, then we don't have to pay for their wages. So instead of turning around and saying, right, you know, we're we're on ten construction sites, uh, our plan is going to be to keep as many of our workers busy as we can. 
which is what I would have done. Yeah. What they've actually done is to say, well, actually, we're going to follow the government's advice or whatever. Um, and uh, we can if we if we furlough 80 percent of all our workers, then um, then we're reducing, obviously, our biggest cost, which in most businesses would be wages. And the government's going to give us back the money for that. So yippee skip. Right. I already know that, you know, I'm starting to have conversations with people who are less moral than me, who are planning their redundancies. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's many cases around uh, the receipt of the furlough monies. And and the point is, is that um, there is no incentive to keep your workforce together. In fact, they've created a financial incentive not to keep it together. Do you see my point? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you've got two choices, right? So you do what I've done, which is to say, right, how can we work together to keep all of the Aspen Wake workforce together through this difficult time, right? As opposed to, ah, I don't have to do that. Um, and I'm going to take the government handout. So ultimately, the furlough scheme becomes a well-intentioned but a disastrous economic policy. And also, I... A few business, having spoke to a few different people, friends of mine that have been that have been furloughed, are worried. Obviously, because of the situation, the economic situation we're in, whether they will ever come back off uh, furlough and have a job. Obviously, they will. Well, that's the point. Yeah, yeah, be off furlough. But but businesses as well that, um, as you were saying, Paul, that would have that will still be able to open again. But maybe we talked about this on the show. Have looked at ways where they can now cut cut, cut costs anyway, so that they're sort of saying, well, actually, we can manage with. If we do it this way, we could those people we furloughed, we, we may not need back. So, like you said, that that has now given um, businesses um, not only that decision to make, but then further thought of, well, are we are we missing this person? Are, are we going to sort of streamline? Half a have to streamline because of the economic situation, but b just forward thinking and planning and thinking. Well, I had x amount of staff i've I had to I've, I've taken that option to furlough them um we can actually manage in a different direction now which ultimately all, all of those options are not good for the people that have been furloughed as you said i think um my overall feeling about um you know you keep going on about um whether we should or shouldn't criticize the government i think my overall headmaster's report would be they've got the balance wrong mm. so uh, the, the total focus is is purely on the NHS and trying to record as few deaths as they can. Okay, um, and so what happens is is you extinguish hope. Mm. And I think you know things, words like hope, aspiration, humanity, civil liberty. You know these are all very important words. And I, I, again, I, I, I found out something at the weekend, which I, to my shame, I didn't know. Uh, in I think it's 1972. I might have my years slightly wrong, but I think it's in 1972, something approaching 90,000 people died in the UK of Hong Kong flu. Yeah. Right. Now, the point of the article, which was extremely well explained, was that no one ever goes on about that. Right. 90,000 people is almost certainly... A, a bigger number than we're going to lose through coronavirus. And yet nobody went off work. There was no talk whatsoever of anything happening. And and the point that was made, which is actually quite frightening, and I think is has been, uh, has been a disservice 
in the media to this, other than from people like Peter Hitchens, notably, uh, and also uh, uh, people I very much enjoy watching are Sky Australia. Yeah. If you go on YouTube and watch the Sky Australia team, they are fantastic. They just say it as it is. No messing around. You know, this is a little rubbish. You know, you watch. They're, they're basically saying that there's been hysteria across the world. Governments have just behaved ridiculously, you know. And when you when you when and I think one of the things is, is that, you know, without being um, arrogant. Right. And I'm not saying necessarily I'm right or I'm asking everyone to believe that what I say is right. But you tell me who on BBC will say what I'm going to say now, for instance, you know, which is. Um, you know, which is to do with the fact that, uh, you know, it's, it's all to do, it's all to do with, with balance. And, um, you know, I think if you, if you just turn around and you, and you, you know, like Chris Whitty does, you know, the health bloke, and he's, he's basically sitting there and saying, um, you know, this lockdown is going to carry on for a year to come. Right. Mm. Well, if you're, if you're an employer, um, your so I think you know I, I'd say as someone as you know isn't afraid to make a, a prediction, it's almost impossible to conclude anything other than there are going to be massively more people unemployed in a year's time than are that than would have been. You know, and the thing is, is you know, as an employer, you know, we were talking about this on our on our own session earlier. You know, we were to, I was asked to talk about risk, wasn't I? You know about the risk. If you, um, you know, one of the things I've had um, external clients of mine saying to me over the last few weeks is, for instance, you know, we don't even want to borrow more money because we have no idea. We didn't ask to be shut down. Yeah. You know, we didn't. We 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 were we shut down because the government made us shut down, and then they're asking us to borrow more money against the future, which is uncertain. And as you keep, you know, as you rightly say where there's no direction from the government as to as to what the world is going to look like in four weeks or three months or six months or a year's time. And and people, therefore, you know, uh, the less courageous of us or people who have less good businesses are, are have got no incentive to do anything other than reduce their costs. Well, right, and I, I totally agree with that. And, and Rachel's just uh, come in on the comments here and says that she understands it. The cost to the taxpayer of the nine million people uh, furloughed is estimated between thirty and forty billion over three months, which is uh, staggering. We've touched on this on uh, different shows. I don't really want to get into it today because it would take a whole show. But the cost of this that uh, in taxes over the next ten years—you touched on it a, a couple of weeks ago—is. It's something that um, most people at the moment fighting for their day to day have not even have not even touched on, but that's going to be enormous. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, if you look at the Sunday Express yesterday, for instance, you know, uh, you know, which is far from being, um, you know, a paper of intellect, I would say, you know, without being too elitist about it, um, they ran with a their, their main lead story on page two was. Uh, uh, that there was going to be a pound a point increase in pubs wow. right and my dad you know my dad said to me hey lad you know pub prices going up pound he said and i said no they won't i said where'd you get that from and he said it says so in the express and i i said right yeah and i said how do, how do you write that one out and he said well because obviously they've they've lost loads of money uh they've got to try and get it back so 
Sunday Express was re- running with this story that uh, they're going to get the money back by putting up their points by a pound. And I said to Dad, I said, I'll tell you what, Dad, I'll give you any amount of money that that's not what, what will happen. Right? And, it was, and I said, look, you know, when you consider uh, pubs on the whole, you know, we're, see- we're already seeing before coronavirus, uh, probably of all the industries in the UK, it's the one where it probably sees the highest incidence of failures day in, day out. You know, so you've got uh, a situation where pubs, individual pubs on the whole are already struggling to get enough income to cover their costs. If you if you then look at what's happened through government policy, people have now been forced not to go to the pub. So they've, they've had to find other ways to, um, you know, ent- entertain themselves, to feed themselves, you know, so probably people are starting to cook more themselves, do things that have more barbecues. Um, People have been buying their alcohol from the supermarkets. All of these things are probably going to to kill a certain percentage of the population, you know, the market share they would have had is now almost certainly going to be smaller in the future than it would have been. So I would suggest to you that the, the, the thoughts that, um, so let's say there's 50 pubs in Bridgewater, for instance, you know, my hometown, that all 50 of those are going to put their pub prices up by a pound a pint is is just rid- ridiculous because I can tell you something for nothing, and I'd be interested to see whether Drew nods his head on this. If you take Weatherspoons, for instance, right, Weatherspoons already sell their beer for, I don't know, a pound a pint less than, say, an average pub. Are we seriously? Are we seriously going to think that um, if 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 the Taverners Arms start selling lager at five pounds twenty, that Weatherspoons are still not going to sell their lager at three pound fifty? I I don't think so. Yeah, it's a, it sparks an interesting debate, and I think one that we will definitely return to as far as um, how the the deficits really are going to be made up and I'm, I'm sure well we've already said the government aren't good at communicating at the moment um, about the most important things and not to say that isn't important but I'm sure that we're going to find out a lot more once we come out of lockdown later on in the year how much this is going to cost everybody um, but for now we, we, we want more clarity on the lockdown and just for a few people that may be listening and watching and thinking Okay, I, I get it. You, I know what you, you two believe in, but, but there is another side to it. There's always another side to a discussion. The two things we haven't mentioned today, domestic abuse up by half, uh, 25% increases in the reporting of domestic abuse crimes, mental health. I read an article at the weekend that says they have no idea, just because of the, the volume of what this is going to do, of the impact uh, on mental health over the rest of the year and next year and the year after, that, that there are many people, and I know a couple of people, that are struggling uh, beyond belief right now. And depends what situation you're in, depends how fortunate you've been as far as your job. But if, if you're sitting there and thinking that, you know what, I don't agree with you, there's another side to the discussion, you're completely wrong, this is more important than anything, I respect your view, but I would say that you may not uh, have any idea of the, the effect that this is having on a lot of people's mental health and we say that quite lightly sometimes but it's it's going to for some people paul you mentioned it they won't recover they won't properly recover 
Well, I think they, they had a simple. Uh, there, there was something else I wanted to say to finish off the previous bit, but um, that's why Matthew Side's uh, article was so hugely relevant. You know, it's not just about the people that are going to die today; it's about the people whose lives are ruined and will die prematurely, maybe even in fifteen years' time. You know, as a result of this, I'll give you two two ways of funding, partly funding the deficit. One is, uh, as previously rehearsed by me, a super profit levy on those businesses that have unfairly benefited from the lockdown. And the second thing is to scrap the high-speed rail project. Yeah, two things that you've mentioned before and, and two well yeah, noteworthy points to, um, uh, to discuss. And I think so important that they are. Um, what we will do is, is um, we will plan a show in the next couple of weeks and, and Paul and I will get together and we'll plan one on how this recovery looks uh, as far as numbers and we'll certainly explore and expand more on those ideas Paul because I think that's going to be something that is, is going to engage a lot of people and, and, and into into and we'll get some thoughts for some other people as well um, but yeah I totally agree I think there are there are decisions that the government are going to have to make we come back to that word again Paul don't we being decisive will they do it yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, you made a, a, a very um, uh, correct, that's probably the word to use, very correct observation about um, other countries and, and, and notably uh, ones where perhaps there's even more pressure on their leaders uh, not to be brave, Belgium being the best example. So as far as I'm aware, uh, and, and again, if someone wants to correct me on this, then um, – We'll, 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 please, please fire in your comments. But to the best of my knowledge, Belgium, Belgium has the highest number of deaths per thousand of population of any country in the world. Uh, so I think you know they've seen uh, something like uh, six thousand plus people die in a country of I don't know what it is ten thousand, ten million or something, perhaps less than that. You know, um, I know it's. I know they're running at um, so, for instance, you know, people go on about America, but actually, America's uh, incidence per thousand is actually, for instance, lower than ours. Yeah. So you know, more people are dying because they've got two hundred and sixty million people, and we've only got sixty million. You know, so they 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 would have four and a third times more deaths anyway, proportionate. You know, but if you look at um, Belgium, for instance, as I say, as a brilliant example because it actually has the highest level. You know, Belgium has already announced exactly what it's going to do when uh, it's quite early. You know, um, I thought that it's not probably I'll never I'll never say this again in my life, probably, because um, this, this is not a man that I have any degree of respect for. And I consider him to be uh, an enemy, if that's not too harsh a word of Britain, would be the short little Napoleon, Mr. Macron himself. Uh, but uh, but I have to say, in his in his remarks about um, how France is going to return to the new normality or whatever the, the buzzword is, he basically said that um, all all shops and all retail would be allowed to open because it would be unfair not to do that. Mm. And I thought, what well, how refreshing it was to hear a word like fairness. You know, words like humanity, fairness, civil liberty, they should be the words that are resonating. Um, something I meant to, I forgot to say um, earlier, actually, and I think this is a very good point. Uh, you know, what um, 
what uh, you know the people I agree with in terms of their thinking uh, on this are basically saying that um, when 87,000 people died of Hong Kong flu in 1972 and no one even noticed it and no one did anything about changing the pattern of work because they didn't have social media, so they had no one to overreact to everything, right? Um, nobody, nobody in those days, um, if you'd said to a British person in 1972 that you won't be allowed to go to work and you won't be allowed to go and have a pint uh, because 25,000 people are going to die if you don't, there would have been up uproar. But in fact, it, it wouldn't even have been that because no one would even have discussed it. And I think the point is, which is which is something which, again, so I think it, it, I'd say that the, the the thing that has failed more than the government is the media. The media has failed the public. So Sky News and BBC News have failed us because the point is, is that when China did a lockdown, right, no no Democrat or civil libertarian could reasonably have expected that a democratic elected country would do the same thing. No one would possibly think that uh, a democracy like America or the Britain or France would do the same as a communist dictatorship would do. And, and I think that's, that's how much the world has changed that through fear and social media pressure, the government, not our, just our government. I mean, if you take, I watched a, a really good thing. I said, I really like Sky, Sky Australia. Uh, when you consider, I think I'm right in saying that they haven't even lost a thousand people. I think it might even be seventy or something. You know, Australia's deaths are minuscule. You know, they're very, very low. But their their life is pretty much the same as ours. You know, and they were the, the you know the the, the the news people there were outraged on you know on what was such a massively disproportionate reaction to you know what is actually in the scheme of things uh, a comparatively you know comparatively small thing. And I think the trouble is, you know, I, I you must you must have heard me going on about being the submarine commander and letting two people die to save a hundred. Yeah, yeah. And that and that and that isn't what's happening. How, how my analogy would be that our government is basically saying, you know what, if if there was a submarine and two people were going to die, um, you know, if if you know, there's water coming into a chamber where two people are trapped, um, uh, and you can save all the other hundred by 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 locking them in, right? What this government is saying, no, no, we don't we don't believe in that because two people are going to die. So if you if you just if you just took those numbers and times them by a bit, mm. so if you said now you had the world's biggest submarine that had a million people on it and two thousand people were going to drown to save a million, which is more like you know the, 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 the reality, then it starts to become. So I think most people, even people that are overly politically correct or or snowflake or woke, whatever you want to call them, could probably just about live with the fact that if you said for instance, you know, this is this is there's a there's a joke I, I always like to tell, and and, and I hope we're gonna, uh, you know, so there's a, a bit of a bit of humour as well. It's a lady, a lady at a dinner party, and the guy says to the lady, um, "If I was to give you, um, you know, ten billion pounds, would you do a certain thing for me? You know, without being too lewd." Uh, and she says, "Well, yes." And then he he offers her a tenner, and she slaps his face and says, 
what sort of girl do you think I am? And he says, we've established what sort of girl you are. We're just haggling over the price. <laughs> so that's, that's, my, that's my very bad analogy about if you take my submarine analogy, right? So if you turn around and you said uh, that there are 50 million people, would you, would you have a lockdown to save 10 people? Yeah. I can't believe even one person would say yes. Well, it's, it's, it's yeah, ridiculous, isn't right. it? So, right. So then you say 100. See what I mean? It's my little game here. Yeah, yeah. 100, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000. At what point, at what point do you say no? That's the point. Yeah. It's, you know? It's a fascinating discussion, and um, one thing I do want to say: thank you so much for, for for getting involved, for listening, whether you're listening on the podcast or watching on the live streams. Um, hopefully, we've given you a, a balanced debate and um, given you information on, on on the reasons why we, we have these views. It can't all be positives; it has to sometimes be the truth and 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 how things are, and. There's so many different ways we can go with this. We, we will expand on it. We'll do more shows. We're going to talk about things like recovery. One, uh, Paul told a very, uh, I thought it was, a, it was an acceptable joke for lunchtime. Um, and we had a little bit of humour in. I wanted to add a little bit of humour in at the end as well before we go to your song. I spoke to a good friend of mine at the weekend. And he's one of these people that we've, we all know somebody like this. Harmless um, great people that just say as they think and they think the world is very very simple and, and maybe it is they say that um, you know football is a simple game you've got to get the ball in the net and we complicate it I think that it goes for this yeah. as well and, and he said to me he said look this is you know he said it's it's not difficult to, to, to work this out he said the, the healthy countries the people that are healthy they're not being affected they're fine. He said, the unhealthy, he said, look at Sweden, look at Germany. They're all right. They're healthy people. Look at America. <laughs> and, and, and he started to go through the countries and I did have a little chuckle because you have to sometimes. Um, and obviously there'll be probably studies involved in that. I'm sure people and will there know are, more. There are other factors which we probably shouldn't comment on for political correctness, yes. which would also affect what you just said. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, do get your thoughts into us. If you're watching this live stream back in the comments, if you're on the podcast, it's podcast at aspen-weight.co.uk. And as I always say, and I hope I don't breach, uh, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell and you get notified uh, when we go live and subscribe to the podcast as well. It comes to you every day. So whatever you're doing, however you consume your content, uh, you can get us uh, Monday to Friday every single uh, day. Thank you so much for all your comments as well. Tomorrow, we have a very, very exciting week because on Friday, we are really? launching Aspen Weight Radio, um, which, which is a wonderful thing. And I hope uh, we'll talk more about it. And I've deliberately not talked about it today because we've got Mark Carey uh, on with us tomorrow. He's a radio man himself as well. Uh, so we will talk about it tomorrow. Um, but it's a wonderful thing that's happening on Friday. We'll give you all the details on tomorrow's show. So please uh, don't miss that. Before we go, though, the link to radio here is Paul's yeah. song today. We've been going through the letters, Paul. We have. Probably helps for those that can get from A to Z. It's probably an advantage <laughs> in, in this task. But um, we have we have reached M, um, which must be about middle middle of the road. I think we're middle of the journey. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, one of the things that uh, I was thinking about a lot this morning, actually, when I chose this particular song, um, is uh, how 
unfair life is and how often there is no direct correlation between talent and success. And I think this band um, really sums that up. Um, you know, and then you've got completely talentless people who are incredibly successful, which I find personally quite depressing. But, uh, you know, I think, I think it could be said that this, this band's songbook um, stands up to scrutiny uh, on a number of levels. I think um, good musicianship, good singing. Several of them are good singers. Um, good, good, good melodies. Um, even a bit of an edge. Um, you know, um, I think I think they're referred to as something ridiculous, like garage punk or something. I can't remember what the, I looked them up this morning, and I I, I I I found the description of them quite bizarre, personally. Um, so the band is called The Motors, and um, there's a band that comes came out of London. Uh, in 1978, and only survived for three years. And I, I and I think there's probably eight, perhaps eight songs of theirs, uh, which could be considered good enough to appear on our program. That's how, you know, that's how highly I would rate rate them. And I was looking at um, the chart positions. So the song we're playing today, for instance, is called "Dancing the Night Away." Uh, which is, um, I played to Drew last week, actually. And um, I think it's a multi-layered song with really good guitar and, and quite interesting the way it sort of goes off in different directions a couple of times, you know. And I, I think it's a, a really talented uh, piece of, you know, scripted music, which is, by you know, far from formulaic and very very bespoke and individualistic. Uh, and this particular song got to number 42. It was their first single. Um, it got to number 42. Uh, the best they, they managed in their career was to get to number four with Airport, which is um, a, a, probably the most poppy of all their songs and probably a song that most people would know, you know, Airport, you've got a smiley face. And you remember that song? Yeah. Um, but then you've got, you know, lots of other great songs, uh, Forget About You. Um, I think that charted about somewhere between 10 and 15. Uh, but, you know, across across Love and Loneliness, I think, is a is another great song, very much in the sort of style of, of this one. And uh, again, it, it sort of charted in the very low positions, you know, 40 or 50 or something. And um, they, they, they lasted three years. And then one of them had a some sort of degree of success as a solo artist and they faded into obscurity. And I just think, you know, it's just so sad because, uh, you know, they're, 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 as I say, their songbook stands up to the highest scrutiny, I think in any, in any level. So, I, you know, I always think that one, I always think it's, it's better on our little show to, uh, to represent people like them that perhaps should have been successful rather more than the ones that were obviously so. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, and that's again, look at with a nod towards our uh, radio station, certainly something that we will uh, look to do. I can't wait for your complete A to Z uh, on your shows. And um, yeah, let's play that song. If you're listening on the podcast, you're going to hear it right now. And if you're not, as always, please uh, look it up. Um, Just have a little moment to yourself this afternoon, maybe with a cup of tea, and uh, a ginger biscuit uh, and you can listen to uh, listen to the song uh, Paul uh, thank you ever so much uh, for your company as always 
and I will see you uh, tomorrow. And uh, thank you so much for watching and listening. I hope you've enjoyed the show. You've had, it's been a bumper special of uh, 54 <laughs> minutes today. And of course, uh, we'll be back tomorrow at the same time, 12.30. Really excited to talk about our radio station tomorrow, amongst other things. I hope you'll join us then. Have a great rest of the day and we'll see you tomorrow at 12.30. Goodbye. <laughs>